So uh, it is June 30th. It is uh, 2013. And uh, I'm going to talk to you this morning about exchange rates. So every country you go to has got a different exchange rate. You become an instant millionaire if you exchange just a few thousand dollars in Sri Lanka. When we were in Sri Lanka, it was 122 to 1. India is 44 rupees to the dollar. Uh, if you get the opportunity to go to Western Europe, you find out that uh, we have a negative exchange rate. Uh, you can thank the last few administrations for that problem. If you have a chance to go to Mexico, you find out it's 12.3 to 1. Some exchange rates are favorable and some are not favorable. Amen? Amen. I'm going to paint you a picture today that is somewhat grim, but it is not impossible. It's somewhat dark, but it doesn't mean light's not about to break forward. It is somewhat negative, but if we can take responsibility for our role, I believe in the victorious church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Susan, would you put on the screen Revelation 12, starting verse 10. It might be 11 and 12, but we'll see. Y'all can turn there. All right, now the rule is if you sleep in church, I'm going to wake you, Okay. So, uh, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. Look at how good our God is. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. No matter how negative the picture gets, no matter how besieged the church looks, no matter how many false prophets stand up in the name of Jesus and prophesy abominations, you need to know that the church of Jesus Christ will be victorious. The kingdom of God will be set up on earth. We will rule and reign with Him as long as there is God, which is forever and ever and ever. And our primary tools of battle are what Jesus has done for us, what we tell people about Jesus' work, His Word, and the fact that we are fearless in the face of death. There is nothing that can be taken from a Christian. Somebody say amen. amen. We live in a society that is obsessed with blessings. They want more and more and more. What a Christian should be obsessed with is how to give and give and give. How we can take what He's given us and give it to the rest of the world because it's blessed us and it will bless them. The poorest in the world cannot get here, but you can get to them. So yes, we are a missions church because all churches are missions churches. At least they should be. Let's go to Matthew 16 and we'll begin our message. That was just the preamble that is rolling around in my heart. Somebody say there when you were there. You can depend upon the screen if you like to. Every once in a while, I like to eat at somebody else's house. But you know what? There is just nothing like sitting at your own kitchen table to a home-cooked meal. The reason I'm telling you this is that Bible in your lap is the best meal you will ever have. Developing a personal relationship with the Word of God, and particularly a Bible that's personal to you, is paramount. When we learn to read, dig in, and love, and not just be spoon-fed then you are learning what it is to grow and mature in your salvation. You're learning what it is to fight. The Word of God teaches us not to have unproductive, ineffective lives, but to grow more and more 
in the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Are you in Matthew 16? Here comes Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. The messages that are so often preached is that God will give you help in this life and heaven in the next. It's greasy grace and sloppy agape to say the least. What happens is, God becomes a self-help investment. We might even add to that message, if you give God $100, He'll give you back $700 just to make sure we've made the message as carnal as it could possibly be. But the message that Jesus taught was quite simply, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to die for me and you have to prove that every day. And if you're willing to die for me, this means that I own you. It means that I'm your Lord. It means that you obey me. Obedience was never optional. So when Jesus said, if anyone, say anyone. anyone. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. This is not taught enough, it's not emphasized enough, and for that reason, the church has no practice of denying itself. There might be some strangely motivated guy in Rome that is putting rocks in his shoes and calling that denying himself, or hitting himself with a whip or something like that. This is not the denial that Jesus is speaking about. He's speaking about the kind of Isaiah 58 fast that says, I care more about Elisha's family than I care about my own. And if I will deny myself for Elisha, if I'll deny myself for Gabby, then I believe that God is big enough to meet her need and will meet mine. But even if not, I still would do it because He loved me so much, how can I not love her? The Bible actually teaches that our righteousness breaks forth when we do this. Jesus taught a simple message. You have to exchange your life if you want His. You cannot hang on to both. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? How many VH1 specials have you seen where the rock band rose to the top of the world? I mean everything, whether it was money, power, success, the desire of America's youth. And where are they now? Broken down, sad, pathetic, trying to regain a former glory that was never made to last. This is an example that we don't set our hearts on the things that the world sets their hearts on. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What do you have to offer? Oh, if we could learn this one thing, friends, you have this one life to give the living God. Just this one. You don't get two. You don't get twelve. You have this life that you can offer Him. And the only thing that you have of worth, the absolute only thing that He values, is your trust-grounded obedience. That you loved Him so much that you did what He said. This is what is highly valued with God and little valued among men. Guys, He can pave the streets with gold. He's not interested in how much gold you have. He, he could make gates 12 feet high made of pearl. He's not interested in the socialite string of pearls. He is interested in how much you love Him and will do what He says to do. What can a man give in exchange for a soul? We give Him our obedience. The obedience of the nations belongs to Jesus. And as the Moravian said so many centuries ago, shall not the Lamb receive the just reward of His suffering? He suffered that He might have your full attention, command, and obedience.
No matter what he says, the answer is yes before you even hear him speak what you're supposed to do. If that is not the case, then the Christianity that you thought you were born again into falls short of biblical Christianity. As Charles Finney once said to men who were trying to get him to follow under their ordination, they wanted him to go to seminary so he could be a product of their work. He said, men, I've examined your lives. And if you are the best that that seminary has to offer, I find you woefully short of Christ. I think I shall respectfully decline your offer. And then he went on to do God's will until he died, seeing hundreds of thousands of people saved. Saints, from this room, not a product of life-changing ministries, not a product of Eric or Matthew, a product of the very powerful Spirit of God working in you. You have the ability to change and repair the world. If you don't believe me, look at how many times Jesus told his disciples, are you still so dull? Look at how many times we find he shows up resurrected, appears to 500 people, but there's only 120 waiting for him at the day of Pentecost in the upper room. You find out that he appears to his 12. Some worship him while others doubted. These are the guys that brought Christianity as far as it's gone. What could you do? Every time the world signs a check, they give testimony to those previous men's work. We're in the year 2013 since the birth of the Christ. What on this earth will give testimony to your work on His behalf? We can build buildings and they'll fall down. We can lay claim to everything. And in the end, someone else will simply take credit for it. What can you build for Him? You build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And friends, you are that church. The church of Jesus Christ is not brick and mortar. It's blood and bone, bought by the Spirit of God. He owns us. And to the extent we're obedient to Him, it shows His ownership in our life. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what he has done. Do you really believe that? Three of you believe that. What's wrong with the rest of you? We need to teach a class on the inerrancy of the Scripture. How many of you believe Jesus is returning? You think it's a couple thousand years from now, or do you think it's soon? You believe Jesus is returning, and that Scripture says He will reward you for what you've done. So how can we live for this world any longer? If you really believe it, it will show up in your actions. It will show up in your priorities. The man who says he loves his wife but beats her has a little problem. His actions deny his statements. And the Christian who says he loves Jesus but does not do what he says to do has a problem. His actions deny his statements. When the living God returns, He is returning for an obedient, victorious church. The church that loves Him enough to come to Him when they've sinned and say, I am sorry. Help me turn from this. I can't do it without you. The church that says, most of my sin is not what I did, but what I failed to do that you told me to. Help me by giving me more of your spirit, by teaching me to yield to you, because your work on earth is my highest priority. Do you believe we should have full-time Christian ministers? Is there any other kind of Christian than a full-time Christian? There's much in our media right now about the homosexual agenda. At least they're homosexual full-time. I'm not happy about what's happening. I think it's part of the darkening of the conscience of America. 
I'm going to make that extraordinarily clear in a minute. But I want you to understand a note of admiration for something. In less than 50 years, through deception and a lot of persistence, America has turned a perversity into a civil rights movement. And they have done it because they were full-time dedicated to doing it. What could the church of Jesus Christ do if we were full-time dedicated to changing this nation? What could we do if we were full-time dedicated to changing the world? A tiny percentage of our population has crammed down the throat of our children abominations that are so foul you don't even want to speak of them, let alone think of them. So that people that are trapped in this perversity have actually begun to believe the lie that God wants them that way. I'm going to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, I know for certain that men and women, no matter how deeply into those things, can be set free. Because many are sitting here today in the name of Jesus free. God didn't make me a sinner and yet I was born one. But He changed me from a sinner into a man of God. And He will do the same for any other man. This world will not change through politics. It will change through the church of the living God standing up and finding its voice. And more than finding its voice, learning to walk in a manner consistent with what we profess. I think the time to lift creed over deed has long passed. The world has heard what we say we believe. We need to show them, church. There's a little story in the book of Judges that you never teach in a new believer's class. I mean, it's avoided among pastors. Among commentators, it's not very well commentated on. And there's a reason. It's one of those that when you read it, it just makes you feel a little icky, right? Can't we read about being blessed? It's in Judges 19. You can turn there. I'm going to summarize this story because I don't want to swim in filthiness too much. Instead, I want to clearly paint a picture and then let us crawl out of whatever hole the devil has tricked us into falling in on the back of Jesus Christ. He will deliver us. Amen? Amen. If you're standing here and what you hear is condemnation, if what you hear is Jesus doesn't understand you, or those Christians don't understand you, or if they knew what was going on inside your head, they would not accept you, let me be absolutely clear. I love homosexuals and I hate the sin of homosexuality. I also hate every sexual immorality, and I love heterosexuals. In my heart, this is not an issue of discrimination. This is an issue of what God says is sin and what God says is righteousness. And I believe that anyone trapped in sin can call on the name of Jesus and be set free. And to stay free, all you have to do is throw your life at Him and walk in Him. If some devil is lying to you in your inner being right now, telling you you cannot get free, I want to tell you I've whipped that devil before, and in the name of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ can whip him today. You simply have to find the courage to ask. We've seen AIDS healed. We've seen every disease that I can think of healed. I've watched tumors fall off of people, and men with tuberculosis in their 80s ride 20 miles to get to church in India. There is no condition that the Spirit of God cannot free you from. You have to desire freedom. You have to desire it. You have to even be willing to confess it with your mouth and ask for it. And then whatever has got you bound, whatever the chain is, 
The power of Jesus Christ will set you free. Are you in Judges 19? In the first verse, there is a mouthful. In those days, Israel had no king. This first verse of chapter 19 is like the last verse of the entire book. The last verse is 21, 5. And it says, in those days, Israel had no king, so every man did what was right in his own eyes. This is a theme throughout the book of Judges. Because there was no theocracy, because God was not ruling on the earth through the men he appointed, every man did what was right in his own eyes. This is how the book of Judges closes. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. In my opinion, this is a prophetic word about the church. When we deny the lordship of Jesus Christ through our actions, when we profess it with our mouth, as Isaiah said, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their lips, their hearts are far from me. We are acting as if we have no king and we are doing simply as we see fit. So it is no strange parallel to find that what is mentioned in Judges 19 and is one of the most shameful stories in all of the Bible is found commonly on our streets today. In the 19th chapter, 22nd through 30th verse, we have a Levite. We have his unfaithful wife or concubine. We have their servant, two donkeys, an old man from Ephraim, and his virgin daughter. I can't tell you how sick this gets. A homosexual mob intent on raping the Levite shows up outside of the house. This is in the territory of Benjamin. And they ask for the man to be sent outside. The man inside does something unfathomable to me. He takes the woman who had been unfaithful to her husband and had caused the trip. Certainly not justification for his wicked actions, but it's what happens. And he sent her outside. They abused her. They raped her. Well, the men went to sleep, apparently, inside. Oh, my goodness. How those who are responsible for others have slept while pornography ravages our children. While sex trafficking ravages those that we should love. How we have slept while a church that has enslaved a fifth of the world's population has allowed innocence to be abused. If this is not to be laid at the feet of the church, who is supposed to be repairing the world? Who is supposed to be sounding the alarm in Zion? In Judges 20, 13, there's an interesting request. The other Israelites hear what has happened. They hear through the most wicked message I could imagine. The woman was actually dismembered and sent to the 12 tribes of Israel as a message. Somebody say that's sick. Okay, so we said it's sick. It's in the Bible and it's sick. You need to know when you read the pages of the Bible, not everything that you read in the Bible is an endorsed behavior from God. It's an inspired story and many times evil is illustrated to show you the fruit of evil. This means that when you find things in the Bible that are wicked, you need to read enough of its context to know that God is calling it wicked. What a wicked story. Woman's dismembered, she's sent to the 12 tribes. So Israel then shows up and they are angry. And in the 13th verse, we hear this uh, request. Now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah so we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. 
Now we'll move them to a different diocese. No, we'll just sweep over the sin that we see. No, we refuse to call sin, sin. I know what we could say. It's just not God's best for you. Or you know what's really important? That they know God in their hearts. These men were commanded to give justice before God. A whole society, an entire municipality, actually many municipalities, are being called out corporately among the prince of God, the people of God. What these men did was wicked, now surrender them. And what was the response? But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. When you turn the corner that the majority cannot convince the minority that behavior is unacceptable among righteous people, you have turned a serious corner. When you then cross that there is no righteous majority, you've crossed a whole other level. Go look in places like Amsterdam, friends. Go look at the seat of the Reformation in places like Germany. Go and see what society is like in what they call a post-Christian error. It's bleak. It's hopeless. It's materialistic. It has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So in 2032, something else happens. Say there when you're there. You didn't have to go far. In 2032... While the Benjamites were saying, we are defeating them as before, the Israelites were saying, let us retreat and draw them away from the city to the roads. Something happens. The Israelites are given a task. We need justice for what has happened. The Benjamites said no. By the way, Benjamin is a tribe in Israel that receives double blessing from the others. Last born of a beloved woman. The name means son of happiness. It's the middle name of one of my children. These warriors were so talented, it said that with the left hand, they could sling a, a rock out of a sling and hit a hair. Why is it always that the prettiest places are the most perverse? Why is it always that the most talented people you have ever met? Let's say a man, I don't want to name men. There are so many artists out there that are the most prolific songwriters and have a magnetism that the whole world is drawn to. And what they're known for is wickedness. Why? Because the devil loves to corrupt the good things that God has given. In many cases, our abundant blessings are simply a snare to lure us away from the Lord. God warned Israel about this. He said, when you get into the land and you have walled cities, don't say to yourself, my own arm did this. He knew what we were prone to do. The Jews call that the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. He knew in the balance of our hearts that we always lean towards evil unless something was there to tip the balance. So what happens is the Benjamites whip the Israelites. Guys, when evil prevails, when you appease an aggressor, they only become more aggressive. Probably... Any student of World War II would say that's got to be the biggest lesson. If you appease an aggressor, they simply become more aggressive. Sin will never be satisfied to own one little part of your life. If you give sexual immorality a foothold in any area, let's just start with a toehold. It will consume your life. This is so true that those pimps who 
purvey their pornography all over the world. Start by giving it away free. Sending it in emails to children and advertisements and message boards. Because they know that if they can get an interest level, even if it's a 10 second clip, eventually you'll spend all you have to feed it. It is quite literally just like any addiction. And sin is an addiction. So Benjamin has become aggressive. They've whipped Israel twice. And they said, oh, we're going to beat them like we did before. I think we live in a day when sin has become aggressive. Daniel 12 said that knowledge would increase and so would wickedness. Matthew 24 said very clearly because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most would grow cold. The love of most. There is a polluting effect in the environment around us. And I don't mean something the EPA controls. There is a spiritual pollution going on that has so affected the hearts and the minds of the average church-going American that we no longer call evil evil. We say things like it's not God's best for you. Look at this. By the time we get to Judges 20 and verse 34, then 10,000 of Israel's finest men made a frontal attack on Gibeah. Somebody say frontal attack. We do not need to sneak around. We do not need to have marketing campaigns. We do not need to be sly. We don't need to be politically correct. We need a frontal attack. One that boldly stands up and says, No, I'm not a hater. I love you. I hate the sin that is enslaving you. We need a frontal attack that will not just stand back in a church. Where are the men like David Livingstone? A missionary society once responded to David Livingstone after he had crossed Africa. If there are good roads to where you are, we should like to send our young men to you. Do you know what his response was? If the kind of men you intend to send will only come if there are good roads, you should keep them. They're not welcome here. Where's the heart of an, a, a man like C.T. Studd 50 years later on the same continent? He said, you... You men want to live within the sound of church bells. I want to set up a rescue shop at the very foot of hell. Right. Where is that heart? There needs to be a frontal attack in the kingdom of God. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. Next time you're standing in Walmart and somebody is cursing out loud and talking about how they got tore up from the floor up this weekend, how about you go tell them what a good time you had in worship? How about you sing in other tongues and say, you praise your God and I'll praise mine and let's see who answers with fire. When did the church of the living God lose its spine? Stop protesting sin. Somewhere inside you, almighty man, needs to rise up the spirit of the victorious church that says, I will not be denied. You know why this little church this little David-like church with the Goliath world out there goes to Mexico because it is my delight that the big churches have stopped. Those with all of the money and all of the resources are hiding in their money and their resources. We will go broke. We will go simply because we have the opportunity to go. And if you have the opportunity to suffer for His name, then you rejoice and count that you were worthy to suffer for His name. And you know what? It makes an impact on the people. 
So a man who once ran a missions agency there said, Pastor, what do I do? They're backing out of missions left and right. I said, who is? He said, the Assemblies of God. He said, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Baptists. We have trips that are scheduled and they are backing out because it's not safe. What do I do? I said, tell him there's a... We were very, very small then. I said, tell him there's a little house church that will send their women and children to do the work they're too scared to do. He said, I could never say that. I said, well, then you'll always have a problem. See, I don't work for anybody. I can say whatever I want to say. In the name of Jesus, too much work is being done by too few men. There are men and women who are laboring, giving their very bodies away. Maybe even the reason for a surgery that is happening here this week. Giving the best years of their life because there are not enough laboring. Jesus never said pray for a bigger harvest. He said pray for more laborers. It's like He inherently knew most would sit back and watch a few work. How many of you past state employees on the road? Five of them with one with a shovel and the others are watching and you make your comments about the state employees. Is the church of Jesus Christ any different? We stand back and watch and should they attempt and fail, we shoot them. Oh, who did they think they were going to pray for that person in the wheelchair? Who did you think you were not to? If we be of Christ, then we have to act like Christ. We have to attempt. We have to dare. Even at the cost of our lives. By the 34th verse, we have an amazing thing. Then 10,000 of Israel's finest men made a frontal attack on Gibeah. The fighting was so heavy that the Benjamites did not realize... How near disaster was. I don't usually quote from the King James, but it says how near evil was. And there's a reason for that. King Jimmy got this one right. Evil is the word Ra. How interesting that the Egyptians chose that as a name for their god. Ra. In Hebrew, if you want to say good morning, you say Bakr Tov. Tov means good. Evening, Lila Tov. The tree in Genesis 2.9 is the tree of Tov and the tree of Ra. Good and evil. The Benjamites were so close to evil, which amounts to destruction, they didn't even know what was about to happen to them. They were blinded by sin's deceitfulness. The hardness of their hearts from the, the preparation that sin had done to it kept them from knowing what was about to happen? Oh, come on, church, look around you. You can't stick your finger in the air and feel that a change is happening in our nation. You can only thumb your, your finger in the nose of God so long. From a political standpoint, I believe in American exceptionalism, except that now our exceptionalism is that we exceptionally sin exceedingly. Everywhere I have gone in the world, I found Coca-Cola... No big problem there, although sugar diabetes is getting to be a pretty big issue. And they have a problem with pornography on the internet. We've exported it to the entire world. Sexual immorality is now the export of the United States instead of the gospel. What happened to the days of through the gates of splendor? You know, with men who said things like, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Men like Jim Elliot who gave their life 
in the 40s, 50s, and 60s for the gospel. Now, when we're called to a mission field, we make sure it's got a five-star hotel. Where is that heart? It has to be revived in the church because the enemy has not gotten tired of sowing bad seed. He's not. He's still polluting the field. They were so close to destruction, it was blinding to them. They did not realize how near disaster was. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And on that day, the Israelites struck down 25,100 Benjamites all armed with swords. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is they refused the other Israelites to give their wives to Benjamites. They simply said, we will not be united to such wickedness. We will not be family with such wickedness. Not only does the church not confront evil now, it either hides in the church or accepts ongoing habitual evil inside the church with a wink and a nod. The crucifixion of Jesus becomes a footnote to satisfy the curiosity of the critics. We have to address sin. You know what? Sometimes that makes people mad. Jesus made people mad. He actually gave us a method for church discipline. He said, you go with one brother, just one, you and him, then with two. If you're unable to convince them with two, bring it before the church. Oh man, how many would be looking for the back door? We actually do it. We hope to get it right in private. It's not a pleasant thing. You haven't lived till you have a guest speaker who's never been in your church and you get to turn somebody over to the devil in the fashion that Paul did while they're there. No chance to explain it. It's simply what God said to do. If the church of the living God would live by the scripture that we hold up as our ideal, if what Martin Luther said was actually true about you Protestants, sola scriptura, the scripture and the scripture alone, then you would see church discipline. And you know what? It would return the church to a place of holiness where if you wanted to be included in the number, you had to be working on putting sin underfoot. Instead, we have an unspoken alliance. I won't call out your sin. You don't call out mine. Let's all just feel good, you know? How's it working for us? It's not working for us. In fact, I think that we see this prophesied about. When you think about something like that, Lamentations 2.14 comes to mind. It says this, The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. Say false and worthless. Oh, say it louder. False and worthless. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. It doesn't do us any good to preach all day long if that preaching is not warding off captivity. So let me ask you, you who have been in church 20 years, are you freer now than you were then? You who have been in church 5 years, are you freer now than you were then? We've said immediately that He frees us from the penalty of sin. But the better question is, is He right now freeing you from the power of sin? Ultimately, His goal is to free you even from the presence of sin at His coming. But it's not enough simply to say, oh, I have no penalty. Oh, that grace abounds will go on sinning. Paul said, heavens, no. We cannot live like that, church. 
This destroys and undermines the confidence of a believer to look at somebody who is trapped hopelessly in sin and say, I love you. And I was once trapped in sin. This kind or another makes no difference. But He freed me. And as I continue in Him, it's not just credited freedom. I'm actually experiencing more and more of it. And you can too. This is what the devil is after in compromising lives. He wants you to not be able to say that with a clear conscience. He's trying to destroy your opportunity to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And hear this part. Word of your testimony. If all we do is sit and sing of the blood of the Lamb and you have no testimony and you're so fearful you will not risk your life, you cannot overcome. All three are necessary. How is it that a generation rose up and went and confronted fascism? Went and confronted the Nazi machinery? And millions of men died to bring freedom to this country and so many others. And now we have a generation that can only rise out of bed to be Xbox assassins. How does that happen? The church falls asleep in prosperity. And while you sleep and slumber and fold your hands, spiritual poverty comes on us. We admire men for their ability to speak in the cathedrals they build and the nice cars they drive instead of the content of their character. And if they can build a church, a building I mean, then we call them great pastors. The great pastor is the one that acts in an honorable way when no one is looking. Jesus was not like that. He did not come with billboards. He did not come with a marketing campaign. Isaiah quite literally says he wasn't like Ken and Barbie. It says he had no beauty or majesty to draw men. Now we have press releases for our pastors. Saints, this is not a little church picking on a bigger church. I'm saying it's our problem. This is our generation. This is our watch. When David laid to rest with his fathers, do you know what was said about him? When he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. Oh, will that be able to be said about you? That you fulfilled your purpose. I have this one life to give him. Just one. And I want to finish well. In the name of Jesus, I will finish well. I will not be seduced away. I will not be denied the birthright that Jesus Christ is giving me. Here's an article from today's news. I don't do that often. But it was so late when we got in last night, it was today's news. The 28th was this Friday. The Ninth Circuit on June 28th, 2013 in the state of California ordered lifting the ban on gay marriage and overturned the will expressed by more than 700 Californians who enacted the law by majority vote. So in the democracy, more people came and voted for a ban on gay marriage than showed up and voted for the permission of gay marriage. Here's what the article goes on to say. Yesterday this happened. The motion was filed as dozens of couples in jean shorts, white dresses, and the occasional military uniform 
filled San Francisco City Hall on Saturday to obtain marriage licenses. On Friday, 81 same-sex couples received marriage licenses. Although a few clerk's offices around the state stayed open late on Friday, you ever known state workers to stay late? In San Francisco, which is holding its annual gay pride celebration this weekend, was the only jurisdiction to hold weekend hours so that the same-sex couples could take advantage of their newly, here's a crafty word, restored right, Clerk Karen Hong said. A sign posted on the door of the office where a long line of couples waited to fill out applications listed the price for a license, a ceremony, or both with the above words, equality priceless. We really wanted to make this happen, Hong said, adding that her whole staff and a group of volunteers came into work without having to be asked. She said it was spontaneous. It was great in its own way. What is great? That we're willing to give up our weekend to make sure that something perverse can be legitimized? That's great. I want you to think about something. If someone had told any of the founding fathers, for instance, that there would be a day in our country where great automobile factories would give special breaks to Muslims who wanted to pray towards Mecca but would deny a Christian the right to bring a Bible into a break room. That there would be a day when you could be sworn in with your hand on a Quran, but you would have to strike the Ten Commandments from the wall of courthouses. If anybody had told those men that there would be a day when the Constitution that they wrote would be so misconstrued that it could be said that it's the right of any two beings to marry regardless of any other factor. How do you think they would have reacted to that? Are the lights turning down? Is it getting dim? Friends, the prophets tell us of these days. Proverbs 20 Verse 29, let's turn there together, talks about the boldness of the enemy. Are y'all getting tired on me? What's wrong? Y'all already know all of this. Should I just pack it up and go home? You got it perfected? All right. Then watch this. Are y'all with me? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. I always wanted to do that. That's a first. All right, here comes Proverbs 20, verse 29. A wicked man puts up a bold front, but an upright man gives thought to his ways. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. These scriptures are encouraging. Victory rests with who? This is confusing to the church today. You know why? They read this and they say, oh, the righteous are bold, or the wicked are bold. And then they skip to victory rest with the Lord. You know what's wrong with that? We're sitting back praying God will do something that he's told us to do. We are sitting back saying, God, do something about this. God, do something about that. Or you may even be sitting back simply saying, get me the H-E double hockey sticks out of here. But you have a job to do here. I think it's time that we give careful thought to our ways. 
we examine what responsibility we have to the society around us. Not in a political fashion, in the kingdom of God fashion. Can we really watch our neighbors die and go to hell and not care because we want to buy a new iPod? Can we really do such things? Maybe we could acknowledge our role in apathy. Maybe that Lamentations 2 that I told you about earlier, maybe we could stand up and say, no longer will I let apathy rule my life. I will not look at somebody and say, oh, have a nice day, when what they need to be told is stop sinning or you will die. Look how quiet it is. Did Jesus have a problem saying such things? He looked at men who had 39 books of the Older Testament memorized, and he said, your father is the devil. Why could he do that? Oh, I know. We all quote John 14, right? I'll do even greater things than Jesus. Then none of us do them. What if he was not just talking about walking on water? What if he was talking about a multiplied voice of righteousness on the planet? The Spirit of God filling you to such extent that you couldn't be intimidated by anything. That you would look and not love your life so much as to shrink back from death. That you would become an anvil that wears out the hammer of the enemy. The living God is able to make you firm. He told Jeremiah that he would do it, and he did. Guys, we're going to meet a great company of prophets. Some were sawed in two. Some were drawn and quartered. What will you talk to them about in eternity? Revelation says, Blessed are the dead who die from now on, for their deeds will echo in eternity. Hollywood stole that line for a blockbuster movie a few years ago and the whole audience applauded. Made me ashamed I was in the movie. Guys, we need to be careful. We need to give thought to our ways. Maybe not just apathy. How about this one? Isaiah 5, starting in verse 18. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as a cart with ropes. I need you to get this imagery before we go forward to a familiar scripture. Drawing sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with a cart of ropes is like a puppet master. It's like stringing somebody along. It's a salesman who has a coupon on a fishing rod and he's thrown it into your house and he's reeling you in to spend more money than you intended to spend. Drawing it along. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart, with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let Him hasten His work so that we may see it. Let it approach, let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. Those who say they're looking forward to the coming of the Lord, but the truth is, they're living in habitual sin. This is what Isaiah said, and how do you recognize them? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. I can't tell you the number of Bible scholars that are amazing men who can teach circles around me that got so wise in their own eyes they decided that a word that obviously says eternity in the Bible no longer means eternity. And that what obviously is sin in the Bible is no longer really sin. God was just after monogamy, you know. It's happening in every generation, but more so in this one than any other. When I was a kid, Carlton Pearson was 
somebody to be lifted up and respected. He sang on albums with people that I respected. I thought it was amazing. And I had just come into the faith. The whole church world in unison condemned the heretical thing that he went off and did. Now, we just wink and nod and pretend it didn't happen, especially if it's a big church. Because success is the cure for all of our problems. It is the idol Americans worship. Visible success. Let's talk about Jesus from that standard. How much visible success did Jesus see? Mega church? Mini church. How much visible success did he see? At the foot of the cross that is the triumph of the human race, handful of women and one man. How much visible success did he see? After resurrected from the grave, how many praying in the upper room waiting for his spirit that he had promised? 120. About the number of people in this room today. We cannot worship at the altar of success. God wants fruit that lasts, not plastic fruit that is an imitation of real Christianity. Something so weak and dead that it has the appearance of godliness, but it denies any real power. You know what is power? Power to put down sin. Power to put down fear. Power to lift up the will of God above and beyond your own power. This is power, not purchasing power. You can get that from MasterCard. It will master you for doing it. Power is to no longer be a slave to sin that once bound you. Go with me to Jeremiah 2. I think we need to stop relying on education and start depending upon the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, the power of the Holy Ghost. What do you remember from the book of Acts? The most educated men in the world looked at fishermen. What did they say? They perceived that these were unlearned, untrained men, and then they took note they had been with Jesus. What do you want people to see about you? Your degree hanging on the wall that says you're a great man? Or the deeds of Christ that prove it beyond any shadow of a doubt? What will we exalt? Would other men agree is great or what God alone says is worthy of Him? Our steeples can get as high as steeples can get and that will not raise a man in God's eyes. But a man who has the courage to say no to sin, to go and rescue somebody who's enslaved by it, and to stand up even when his own family throws him out, this is a man that you should love. This is a man you should be. In the name of Jesus Christ, we sing songs that say, though none go with me, I still will follow. And then we only go if there's a consensus. They never would have got out of Egypt that way. How about Joseph? How about his life? We'll get to his life in a minute. Are you all in Jeremiah 2? In Jeremiah 2, start in verse 8. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law of the Lord do not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. Those who deal with the law of the Lord, what? Do not know me. That was true in 586 B.C. You know when else it was true? In the first century, Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life and yet you refuse to come to Me. They're reading the book that speaks of Him. And He's standing in front of them and they don't recognize it. Today we read the book that speaks of Him. 
We see what his life was about in his deeds. But we miss his will because we're obsessed with other things. And the priest's visions are not warding off captivity. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Kittim and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? That's a rhetorical question, friends. It's supposed to be a big resounding no. Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Let's talk exchange rates. You give up on God to follow the world, and what do you get? A few years in the limelight? We're exchanging something priceless for something base, something that is eternal for something that rots. Oh, sin's deceitfulness. It's a firecracker that goes up and pretends to be the sun. But it fades away immediately. And it says, get more firecrackers. God is as consistent as the champion sun making its circuit across the sky. Psalm 19 actually says it's the creation speaking forth speech day and night which all men understand. Look around you. Do you understand sin's deceitfulness? We're pretty sure that God won't mind a little sin. And whatever is a little sin is what's in our life, and what's a lot of sin is in the lives of the people around you. That's how we judge it. So in surveys, we say 80% of us are Christians, but more than 50% of us doubt our neighbor's salvation. What does that mean? When the number one critique of those outside the church to those who are inside it is it's a den of hypocrites and liars. By the way, would you like a wonderful response to that? I'm only going to give it to you if you'll use it. Would you like it? Yes. Would you like it? Yes. Next time somebody says the church is full of hypocrites, say, then you come be a real one. Put them on the spot. Put them in the valley of decision. How long will we sit and whine about a problem when God's given them to us to fix? He made you in His image. He'll fill you with His Spirit. He'll credit you with His righteousness. And then say, go do my work. And we sit back and say we can't. There's a missionary in Peru that had the best example. He said, I'm sick of hearing people say, I'm going to the mission field one day. I don't know how to get there. He said, get on a plane. I thought that was wonderfully simplistic. Shut up and get on the plane. They went out without a purse or sword. I've watched men in Mexico raised in a garbage dump take a garbage bag full of clothes and $100 and a plane ticket and go plant churches in Yemen. And nobody in the world knows their names. A lifetime commitment to a country where they cut off your head for loving Jesus. We spend more than that this week eating out and not think a thing of it. I know, I've been there. But when you've been where I've been and seen what Jesus has shown some of the men in this church, it changes everything. In 2006, we went to Padre Island on vacation because it's beautiful. Right? It's not Florida, but it's, it's beautiful. We stayed in a nice condo. Not the nicest there, but certainly not the poorest. 
I had no idea that 45 minutes down the road, there were children drinking from a sewage-filled ditch. I had no idea that 45 minutes down the road, children did not have enough to eat that night. We live in a kind of willful ignorance, friends. One of the things that is so difficult for us, we pick up bottles of water after every service. But I've been places where they don't have water. And we actually, we store some of it. You know why? What's that cost? Somebody tell me what that costs. Dollar twenty on a good day. If you happen to be somewhere, it's the only place you can get it. Might be two bucks. You know why this is sitting there? Because somebody opened it, started to drink part of it, left it in a seat, and you know what we'll do with it? We'll give it to that plant. Do you think God values that plant more than the human who could receive it? See, it's out of sight and out of mind. Evil has surrounded the people of God, and we've gone to sleep in its lap like Samson in the lap of a prostitute. Somewhere down inside, there has to be a righteous remnant in the soul that is beginning to quake and shake and say, Living God, I will give you my life. And somewhere out there, there ought to be a person going, Holy Ghost, don't strike me dead. One day you'll meet Ananias and Sapphira. You have to look them in the eye and see whether what we've done in neglect is worse than what they did. Nineveh repented at preaching. We've had 200 years of preaching and fallen asleep in that preaching. Has any nation ever exchanged its gods, yet they are not gods at all? But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder in great horror. Can you hear echoes of the latter part of Romans 1 in this? Those who exchanged the truth for a lie. Those who exchanged the glory of the one and only for shameless things. Do you know what it goes on to say? So God gave them over to shameful uses of their body. He said, even so that the women, like it was expected that a certain percentage of the men would be pigs, but even the women did indecent things. And you know what? God saved them then, and He's saving us now, and He will still save us in the future. You just have to be willing to cry out for help and repent. I know some of you love me, some of you love Jesus. Some of you love the other leaders in the church. And some of you hate to be here and don't know why you keep coming back. I know. First guy that ever seriously witnessed to me says, Eric, Eric, look, you've you got to come. And he was my wrestling coach. So he was a four-time state champion. Needless to say, he could persuade me from time to time. And every time I showed up, he preached on hardcore sin. 30 people in a room, and the room kept getting smaller every time he talked, you know? We need to be trapped in a box with the Holy Ghost sometimes. We're living like there is no judgment coming, and it is coming. There needs to be a return of holy fear in the camp of God's people because that will lead to reverence, and God will trust you with more of His power. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Say, spring of living water. And have dug their own cisterns which cannot hold water. I don't have time to teach on this. Let me say this though. 
God will give you life and life abundantly. And in John 7, he announced at the Feast of Tabernacles when they're pouring water out of a golden vessel into 12 earthen vessels for everyone to see that God is living water and He will pour Himself into us earthen vessels. This was a visual object lesson. On the last and greatest day of the feast in John 7, 37, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, If any man thirst, let him come and drink of me. John writes in the note, by this he meant the Spirit, just so that we Gentiles wouldn't miss it. In John 8, Jesus runs into a woman obviously caught in sexual immorality, right? Say, obviously. <laughs> did he throw rocks at her? You know what he did? He condemned her accuser. How did he do it? Jeremiah 17, 13 said, I will write the names in the dust of those who have forsaken the spring of living water. The day before men had forsaken him, the spring of living water, but wanted to condemn her, and he bent down and began to write in the dust their very names. Next time you see a commentary that suggests something else, just refer to the commentary called the Bible. And you'll find that written in Jeremiah 17. He said, Woman, where are they who accuse you? There aren't any. Then neither do I. Now what is the next word? Go leave your life of sin. The fact that He does not condemn you does not mean that you are free to continue to sin. Grace is the chance to repent, not the chance to stay in sin. Oh, Jesus, forgive us. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. That's what he said. Be appalled and shudder with great horror. That men would exchange something like God for something as worthless. Hosea 4.6 is one that I need to share with you. And I haven't gotten to the text I really wanted to get. Can you all give me a few minutes? Might as well be with your consent because I'm going to do it whether you want or not. But I figured we'd all feel a little better about it if we had the formality of a request. Fair enough, Brandon, it's going to be okay? I, I can go just a little longer? Look, if your gluteus maximus is crying out to the rest of your body to the point where it's starting to overcome your thoughts, stand up. It'll be okay. Right? We got padded chairs, air-conditioned rooms. We can put carpet for a kneeler up here. The finest Christians I've ever met on the planet, and I think the superstars in the kingdom of God, are going to be 90-year-old little old women in India that have never worn a pair of shoes, never seen an air conditioner, and will pray until all of you drop. Oh, they're amazing. Every time I see them, they're prophesying that the judgment of the Lord is coming. Wake up. Every time I see them. And they write it down. So I can't even pretend I didn't hear it. Hosea 4.6, familiar scripture. Could you have found it before I gave you the reference? My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. This kind of knowledge is revelation, not your secular educational system, a revelation into God. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. You know that the Bible says when we raise a child in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. And we've turned that into, well, they'll leave, but they, they'll come back. That's not what the Bible says, not at all. That's what we say about the Bible to make ourselves feel better 
about raising children that are despicable. Oh, that's harsh. It hurts, doesn't it? I, I got children too. I have the same litmus test you've got. It's actually how we're supposed to choose our leaders. I want you to understand something. It is never too late to turn around. It is never too late to repent. It is never too late to start. Every scripture that could condemn you also will set you free if you simply heed it. I also reject you as my priest because you have ignored the law of your God. I will also ignore your children. The more the priest increased, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. The more priest, the more teaching, the more talk of Christianity. And yet sin was growing. You know why? It's a weak, powerless religion that exalts creed over deed, that talks but does not walk. The kind that says, listen to your pastor up there, but don't visit his home unannounced. The kind that says, get with my secretary, and maybe in the next few months I'll fit you in if you tithe. And this is what we've accepted. And so it's what the world has gotten. They go to hell by the basketfuls. Because the voice for holiness is getting smaller and smaller. And yet, the victorious church of Jesus Christ will not be denied. The church may change colors. The church may change nationalities. The church as a lion's share might move to other places in the world. But the church of Jesus Christ will not be defeated by the gates of hell, ever. You just get to choose whether or not you want to be a part of the true church. That's not housed in this building or any building. That is a global phenomenon that cannot be stomped out. I'm quite persuaded there are churches in Lafayette, Louisiana that are full of fire in Jesus. I'm quite persuaded that they're in every place where there's even one being planted in Washington, D.C. today. But you know what defines them? It's their trust-grounded obedience. Galatians 5, 6 says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Love for who? God and man. We do not love our brother if we don't warn him about what's killing him. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. Promise that we are arriving at a point. Say there when you were there. Two, three, four. Keep going. How many of you are there? Are y'all just waiting on the screen? You know, that happened with mathematics. We started waiting on calculators, and pretty soon nobody can figure change without their cash register. <laughs> then came the smartphone, and we all had calculators again. Y'all remember those little things people wore on the wrist? That was all kind of cool in 1980, and by 1981, it was as nerdy as could be. You get beat up for wearing a calculator watch. Isn't that just what the world is like, though? The world says you got to have these parachute pants. Is that Datus? You got to have these parachute pants, and then the next month after you've spent 80 bucks on something, now it's not cool anymore. Because that's what the world does, friends. It's a firecracker. It says, if, if you obtain this, if you get this, it'll be wonderful. <sighs> Go on. God is as consistent as the sun, and He's the only one to put your hope in. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Say it louder. Wake your neighbor up. Say amen. Here comes Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 16. 
They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Oh, Jesus, is that convicting yet? How many of you made a commitment to the Lord at eight years old and then walked away from it for a decade? Okay, well, this is talking about us then. The Lord saw this and rejected them because He was angered by His sons and daughters. Are we going to say they weren't believers? He was angered by who? His sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, He said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation. Children who are unfaithful. They were His children, but they weren't living like it. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation who has no understanding. This is usually quoted as, we, the church, will make Israel envious. Those bad Israelites. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you heard a great revival in the United States? Dead being raised, people hopping out of wheelchairs. I mean, is it happening all around you? Are you seeing it in every church you go to? No, when you hear that somebody got raised from the dead, where is it? In the country or out of the country? He's trying to make you jealous. He's trying to say, will you stand up and be sons and daughters? I keep hearing this. You know, Pastor, why do all of the, uh, why do all of the miracles seem to happen somewhere else? Because they're full of faith. And you are full of apathy. They asked Paul Youngie Cho one time and he had to correct himself in the middle of the interview. What's the difference between American Christianity and what's happening in Korea? He said, in Korea we're more, we're more attentive to our prayer. He, he wanted to just tell the truth. We take this a whole lot more serious than you people do. You know what? When you fast in Mexico, you don't know if you're going to get to eat at the end of the fast. It's kind of an indeterminate fast. I'm going to fast for two weeks. And if there's food at the end of the two weeks, I'll eat it. If not, it looks like I get to fast some more. Talk to me about giving up something for Lent. How about giving up something for life? All around the world, God is raising up sons and daughters who are so serious about the kingdom, they won't be denied. And men who have never gotten a complete copy of the Bible are raising the dead in places like Mozambique. Every once in a while, they'll catch something like that on film and descends the critics. Because it's easier to criticize than it is to go out and duplicate. We've been called a cult more times than I can count. I've just learned to redefine it. I love Jesus a whole lot more than you do. And it's okay if you want to keep saying it. Makes me feel better about the work we're doing. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. I didn't come here to get along. I didn't. I love you guys. Sundays and Wednesdays have slightly different feel to them. You know, they do. Somebody laughed out loud with that. And one of the reasons for that is, while everybody else is trying to gather in as many church attenders as they can on Sunday... I'm trying to smack you with a hammer and a winnowing fork. I figure whoever shows up repeatedly is worth discipling. And I don't think the kingdom of God is so cheap that if you walk out on me, God won't bring another one. I'm not particularly worried about it other than I care about your life. In fact, when our church gets full, 
And that's a scary thought because we're perpetually building. Those of you who have been there can testify. I tell people all the time, you're not going to get serious about God. Go ahead and leave. We could use your seat. To the point that the elders sat me down and said, you know, you don't have to invite people to leave every week. You're supposed to invite people to come be a part of what we're doing. <laughs> but didn't Jesus do that? Didn't he look right at his apostles and say, do you want to leave too? When you find the ultimate, you cannot be dissuaded. When you find the ultimate, you will sell all, give all, die to all to have it. This is a prophetic word right here for this nation. Even for us. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation who has no understanding. For a fire has been kindled by my wrath, one that burns to the realm of the death below. It will devour the earth in its harvest and set fire to the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities upon them and spend my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them. I want you to understand something. We can say God bless America all day long, but if we continue to revel in sin, God will not bless it. I think there's a day coming when Christians in America will learn what Christians all over the world have known. God makes a distinction in Egypt between those who are His and those who are not. And He's able to keep you alive in famine while people are starving all around you. The same storm that washes the wicked away will leave the righteous standing, the Proverbs say. I want you to understand something. This is a bubble we live in. And this bubble has allowed us the opportunity for freedom and affluence. And we've used that freedom and affluence to multiply sin rather than righteousness. But it's not too late. Some people say 40% is a lot. I think we can get to 80. And we don't even pass a plate. You know why? Because when we begin to live, breathe, and die for the gospel... It's all that matters. You stop caring whether or not you get to see the latest sitcom. You're strangely disturbed by the fact that you can't enjoy the same movie everyone else does. Oh, dear Jesus, I get to preaching against movies. There might be only 12 of us left. Why don't we do this? Would you all like to have hope? Is that okay? Yes. Can we finish at hope? Yes. Staff, you don't want to finish at hope? You're my daughter-in-law. I'm counting on you answering me. Okay. <laughs> Steph says we can finish. Oh, it's okay, Lindsay? Teacher came all the way from Dallas. Teacher, you came all the way from Dallas. Somebody wants Jesus. The Treasters came all the way from Port Lavaca. What is that, two hours? Choose your church by what's convenient. What would they have done in Ephesus? How convenient was it to go hide under the earth for about 12 months? How convenient was that? Judy, did you get to choose your assignment in Mexico by what was convenient? No. The poor are rich in faith. Why do we want to be rich so bad? You hear me? Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Why do we want to get along so bad? Could it be that we've exchanged blessings and true wealth for something that is worthless and fading?
Turn with me to Genesis 47. What do you do in a famine? I mean, that's a, that's a reasonable question. Well, some people are going to store rice. Some people are going to go get their CHL. Some people are going to do all kinds of things. I've been thinking about CHL, by the way. I think continued holy living is a dangerous thing. I think it's better than packing a 45. I'm not against you packing a 45. I think it'd be a more honest world if everybody was armed instead of just the criminals. They disarm us when we cross the border into Mexico, and all that does is make you like sharks with, uh, or rather, lambs and wolves. That's okay. I'm in the hands of Jesus. But I would prefer that governments did not do that, you know? We don't want a World War III. You know what I want? I want the repairing of this world. And I believe we can start with your life, move to your family's life, and then address the nation. I think God hadn't given up on a single person here or you wouldn't be here. I think that you probably could have gone to church anywhere you wanted to or stayed home like so many did, but something drew you here. So let's start in Genesis 47. 47 verse 13. There was no food. However, in the whole region, because the famine was severe, both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. What happens in a famine? Some are going to waste away. It's just what's going to happen. Some are going to waste away. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain that they were buying. And he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. Have you ever seen those pictures of people with wheelbarrows full of cash trying to buy bread? That condition is called hyperinflation. I'll preach on that some other time. But it's happened many times in history. When you got no food, fat bank accounts don't matter. So who did they have to go to? The only one who had something of value. Now, Joseph was sold out by his brothers. Joseph was thrown in a pit. Bet it was for three days. Joseph was now risen to be the visible image of a Pharaoh who was absent. The only thing that separated Joseph from being Pharaoh was the throne that Pharaoh sat on, but he had full power of attorney to use his signet ring to speak in his name. And the Egyptians had a name for Joseph. They called him Zaphonoth Paneah. It meant the savior of the world. There may be a famine coming. Amos prophesied about one in the ninth chapter that drives people to the savior of the world. And what do you do when all your money is gone? Well, let us see. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 16. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, sheep, and goats, and the cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for their livestock. What'd they give up in year one? Money. What'd they give up in year two? Livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone, our lives belong to you. There is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. 
When you've given up your money, given up your vehicles, given up your house, given up your properties, and all you have left is to give your body to the Lord, you'll learn why the early church was so powerful. What does Acts say that they did? They brought their properties. They brought all of their goods, their belongings. They laid them at the feet of the apostles and distributed to anyone as they had need. That way, they had such an anointing that even Peter's shadow healed people. Oh, I'm not after your stuff. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't belong to Jesus till he has all of your money. He has all of your belongings, all of your vehicles. Listen, wait, let me prove it. L listen to what they say. This is, can you tell I get excited about this part? Look at verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe. The land became Pharaoh's and Joseph reduced the people to... Oh my goodness, what would happen if we were actually servants of Jesus? Isn't this what we enlisted to be? Servants? Isn't this what the word minister means? Servants? You know how you get reduced to be a servant? You stop thinking of yourself as more highly than you should and you start thinking that everything you have belongs to Him and esteeming everyone else more than you. Then He reduces you to servitude. Now pick up in verse 23. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you, say bought you, and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. What does that mean? Everything that I have belongs to Jesus and anything He gives back to me, I want to show appreciation and give back to Him. I'm going to go seed the land. Everything I have belongs to Him. He already bought my house. He already bought my car. He already bought my bank accounts. He already bought everything that there is, including my sin. Amen. Do you want him to buy your sin without buying everything else? Oh, look, there's one more verse here. This is so good. How about this? Verse 25. What's it say? You have saved our lives, they said. You want to know when King Jesus is your Savior? When he owns everything you have. When anything you have is only something He gave you and it's not lip service. You want to turn the tide here? Live and breathe and die for the gospel. Who wants to see great miracles? Look at that. How are we going to get the dead raised if nobody dies? How are we going to get blind eyes healed if no eyes get put out? How are we going to see limbs grow back if no... See, we always want a great miracle at somebody else's expense. I'm saying, why not start right here? What do you do when they put a machine gun to your head? If you believe you have a purpose that's not yet fulfilled, it's not Superman the bullets bounce off of. It's Jesus Christ. If your purpose is done, then praise God, they're threatening you with glory. If you're not sure, make sure you have a brother with you that will pray for a resurrection from the dead. <laughs> I don't travel anywhere without at least one good brother. I want you to understand something, saints. If you've already given everything to Jesus, you can't be threatened with the fear of loss. If you've already given everything to Jesus, then what, wor what, what worldly thing has a hold on you? I'm here to tell you that Jesus will break every chain. He will set you free. 
And from this room, no matter how down and out you feel, He can change your life and make you a superstar. Now, there's a church that will tell you you're a champion already. I'm sorry, they lied. You get to become a champion. When the Spirit of the living God enters you and you're obedient to it, it makes you a champion. But we are most certainly not champions already. You cannot be granted victory in a race you have not begun. Another C.T. Studd quote I always loved. Said our seminaries today turn out neat little biblical confectionaries. They're like chocolate soldiers that melt as soon as they get wet or there's the slightest heat. Saints, I believe God will raise up men in here, women in here that are as hard as spiritual steel. The only thing that will shape them are the very fires of heaven. But I'm here to tell you the fire of heaven is kindled. It is kindled because God Himself has set a day in which He will judge not just this nation, but the whole world. The Bible does not declare an award ceremony in the sky. It says every man, not some men, not a few men, every man will give an account for things done in the body, whether bad or good, whether tov or whether ra. You will be judged by what you did in Christ. Jesus looked at those who followed him and he said, to those who have stood beside me in my trials, I will confer upon you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one upon me. You want the kingdom of God? You need to stand for the kingdom right now. Young, stand to your feet. This means the courage to act. This means the courage to go. This means the courage to pray, the courage to stand your ground and stay. This means quite literally you do whatever He tells you to do. No more low living. No more shrinking back. Draw your line in the sand, church. Lay down a marker that says, this is what Christ looks like in my life and He will be fully formed in me or I will die trying. The King of Kings deserves not a thing less than that. The longest journey begins with something. The very first step. We get so wrapped in religious pride that even when we're talking with a friend, they say, man, when were you saved, you know? And they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, uh, as a kid, I... So I stopped saying that. I said, when did you fall head over heels in love with Jesus Christ? They always have to debate a little bit to come up with that moment in time. Not hard to tell when your baby was born, but we have a hard time telling when new life is born. I want you to understand something. If there's never been a moment where your life so radically changed, it does not resemble today what it did yesterday. You got work to do. To be born again is to have heaven's nature planted in you. It means, like Pastor Treaster said, to hit a brick wall. I can't go in that direction anymore. I'm turned around. I'm running a whole different way after Jesus. If you bought into this lie that says you can kind of sort of love Jesus, just believe He exists and try to live a good life, it is a lie that is sending people to hell. This is from men who have lost the ability to distinguish good from evil. But the Word of God through constant use will restore that ability. 
The only thing good in this world is doing what he tells you to do. Every other thing, no matter how religious, is just wickedness wrapped in a new fig leaf. We're going to worship. And as we worship, I expect you to hear from the Holy Ghost. Do you know why? Jesus died for you to hear from the Holy Ghost. That's what his church is founded on. There's not a link in the chain somewhere in Rome that you have to go through. Your call doesn't have to get routed through Springfield, Missouri, or any other such place. He died. His body was torn like that veil so you could come into the presence of God and then do what he said do. Only reason we offer the altar so that you have a moment in time when you can say, I stepped out for Jesus. It's a physical marker. And when you kneel on that carpet and your knees hit the ground, you should envision yourself in that holy place. Just you and your father. At some point, you've got to quit caring what everybody else thinks.